If one thing was not clear to you guys, I think it's safe to say the Baltimore Orioles, they own, are Washington Nationals. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every single day as we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And today's Locked On Nationals is brought to you by Game Time. So make sure to download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price, always guaranteed with our friends at Game Time. And later on in today's show, Bobby Blanco. Well, not later on. He's joining me right now, this very second. So, Bobby, I'll introduce you. What's going on, man? How are we doing? Hey, three more games left in this regular season. How about that, Ryan? Thanks for having me on for this, uh, I guess, season finale. I know. And it it is kind of crazy to think about. Like, this season's really flowing by. But later on in the show, I do want to get into the starting rotation with you as well and kind of also get into the now with Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams and kind of what they could be in 2024 and also just what they have been so far throughout this season. But let's start off, Bobby, with the Orioles series. And this is kind of a jarring stat. I mean, there's no real stat with this, I guess. I mean, I guess there is. But the Nationals only scored one run against the Orioles all season long. Oh, my God, man. (laughs) Like, I don't even know what to make of that. Yeah, I mean, talking to the guys after the game on Wednesday night up at Camden Yards, you know, you you ask like, what's just what makes them so tough? What's why are they so tough for you to beat? And every they all began. Davey, Dominic Smith, Patrick Corbin, they all began with like their pitching. Their pitching is just so good. You mentioned the one run scored over four games, and that's actually haven't beaten the Orioles in their last seven games dating back to last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Orioles obviously about to win a hundred games. Probably going to win the AL East, be the number one seed in the American League for this October postseason run. Um, they're just better. I mean, just, there's no other way to put it. They are a better team right now. It starts with their pitching. You got Kyle Bradish, who's going to be, you know, he might not finish in the top three, but he'll definitely get American League Cy Young votes um, in the coming months. Um, you got Grayson Rodriguez, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, shoving on Wednesday night. They've just got really good. And this is without like Fleeks Bautista in their back end of their bullpen. I mean, yeah. they've just got pitching up and down. Um, you know, a lot of it's young pitching. They do have some veterans like Kyle Gibson who didn't pitch this series. They acquired Jack Flaherty, who I think they're going to move to the bullpen for the postseason. But, you know, a lot of these young guys that they've acquired through trades, the draft, um, and just developed their own minor league system have been lights out for them. And the Nats said, like, we just had nothing going against them. The one run in four games, I mean, how was that ever happened? Like, that's just. In, uh, incomprehensible like the Nats scored more against the Braves and the Braves are probably the best team in all of baseball over the weekend and they weren't only able to score one run against the Orioles which is pretty amazing it, it's so amazing to me in my opinion Jake Lou was the guy to get it done to get the yeah. RBI in last night's ball game and, and that's when it came it came in the last game of the series as us playing and there's always kind of been like this rivalry you could say quote unquote but I've never really looked at it that way I've always kind of thought that the Orioles fans kind of look down on us Nationals fans or myself, not you, you cover the team, but they kind of just always have thought that way. I I don't really know, but 
getting into like the nationals and just kind of looking ahead at this, like I just want to be the Orioles so badly, man. Like I I want, I want what they have, like what they have done, just building through the farm system and with the nationals still in the rebuild, there's been a lot of early success so far. Like I think 2023 is ultimately a success for this team. And you've seen a lot of good things down at the farm system as well. And I just feel as if like, if you look at the Orioles right now, and you're a Nationals fan, and you're just trying to sit through this rebuild and stay patient with it, that gives you a lot of hope, man, because that's a team that hasn't really spent the money in free agency. Like you said, their big free agent acquisition was Kyle Gibson. He's a fine pitcher, but it's not going out there to sign Jacob DeGrom like the Texas Rangers. These are guys that they have just had homegrown talent over, and I think that means so much to an organization. Yeah, I think there's like three different uh, maybe I guess four. I mean, there's just different ways to go about it, right? If you look at the mm-hmm. Orioles, everyone wanted to be the Orioles. The way that they've done this rebuild, especially here in DC, like looking, it's so easy to compare them because they're up the road. Um, they started this their rebuild a couple years before the Nationals did. Um, and draft, they co- totally revamped their international free agent process. You know, the Nationals already have a head start in that, so that's the, that wasn't a big deal for them to get going. But um, trade acquisitions, they didn't acquire too many. I don't think big names of their guys um, via trade. They didn't have a lot of superstars to trade like the Nationals did, but it's all about player development once they're in the farm system. The Nats have been revamping their whole player development system top to bottom for the past couple of years to get to that level like the Orioles have. And you look at teams like the Braves, kind of similar thing. The Braves have acquired some other big names through free agency, but then they've locked up all those guys for the long term. It's going to be interesting to see what the Orioles do when guys like I mean, they're still a couple of years away, but guys like Adley, Gunnar Henderson, who was represented by Scott Boris, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, when they all come to time for their next contract, how will the Orioles kind of keep all this core group of young talent together? And will they use some of the top prospects they still have in the farm to maybe acquire a veteran piece to add to this team moving forward? You still have the number one overall prospect in Jackson Holiday playing a AAA for them. So yeah, the blueprint has always been so easy to compare. I think Nationals fans... You look at some of the top prospects in their list, Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Robert Hassel, um, Andy Morales right now. Some of the guys like in recent drafts and recent trade acquisitions, they can see this kind of group coming up in the next couple of years. And is it next year? Is it 2025? When will the Nationals start seeing progress like the Orioles have seen over these past two years? Remember, they weren't supposed to be this good this year. No. They weren't supposed to be as good as they were last year, and they almost made the playoffs. Now they're going to be the second best team in all of baseball uh, behind the Braves with a record, with their record, win a hundred games. And it's, I wonder how far behind the Nats are in terms of that. Um, and now the Nats are at a position where they don't have a Juan Soto, a Max Scherzer, Trey Turner to trade anymore. So it's going to have to come through the draft and their own player development. And, and I think honestly, like I've always been a believer in the fact that like, you know, everyone likes to point to the Dodgers and the Yankees and it's like, well, they spend all the money in the world and you know what? You're right. But also if you look at their farm systems, the Los Angeles Dodgers over the last decade, they've consistently had one of the better farm systems in all of baseball. They've continued to push out prospects. And in particular, they pushed out pitching prospects. You look at the Atlanta Braves and while yes, they have spent very wisely over the years, They also continue to push out prospects in which the Nationals just really haven't had to do. But obviously, that's not easy. There's only a handful of teams that can do that, obviously. The Nationals were a part of that back in the 2010s, but the well just kind of ran dry on us. But you kind of mentioned something with Juan Soto there, and I'm sure you've seen this um, rumor, you could say, at this point. 
Jeff Passett of ESPN. I don't know if you saw that. I forgot what podcast he was on. But he kind of threw out an idea that Juan Soto could be looking at a trade this year. And he mentioned the New York Mets. But as you were kind of talking about the Baltimore Orioles, they have assets, man. They have assets to actually make a move for Juan Soto. You're not going to have to ship off Jackson Holiday. He's untouchable. You're not going to trade away anyone for him at this point. But they have deeper guys in their system to where they could kind of make that work. And I, I'm just kind of riffing off this, and I never told you we were going to talk about this, but <laughs> you kind of got me thinking about it, man. Like, I don't know. I feel like that would be really interesting to see the Orioles make a move, even if it's just for one year of Juan Soto. Yeah, the feeling around the sport, and especially here in D.C., because obviously there are still ties to Juan Soto and his people mm-hmm. here, but it's that he wants to come back east. And, you know, his time with the Padres hasn't turned out the way that he or they expected. Um, next year is his last year before free agency. So all the talk this year about Shohei Otani's free agency coming up, this it's going to be just like that next year for Juan Soto. And he's still putting up like an MVP caliber year. He's probably not going to win the uh, American League MVP. That's definitely between Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr. But he's still going to be up there. He's had an, a, a great year by himself. The team just hasn't. So the sense is that he does want to come back east. Which team will look to get him? I mean, we know the Mets have put this like two-year timeline on their rebuild. Um their farm system isn't isn't great. I know they improved it a bit at the trade dot, trade deadline by tr- sending off Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander. Um, but you know you also have an owner who is not afraid to spend money. And of course, same thing goes with the Yankees. They're they're not afraid to spend money. The Orioles have the prospects. I agree. I don't think Jackson Holiday is going anywhere. No. I don't think they touch Gunnar Henderson, Adley, any of those guys at the major league level. But then you look at the rest of their you know farm system. You got Colton Cowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, guys like that who fill out the top half of the best farm system in all of baseball could definitely be a window. I would expect the Padres would still go for it next year with that group. But if we're getting closer to the deadline and we saw where they are in the standings, like we did this year, they didn't sell off this year. Really next year might be the year they do because Soto's on an expiring contract and you might as well get something back for him uh, before he just walks. Cause it is pretty well known or thought of, that he wants to come back east once his contract with the uh, the Padres is up. Yeah, that's always kind of what I've wondered too. I, and also, I've just always seen Soto in New York, whether it be with the Mets, which I would hate, or if it's the Yankees. The Yankees are kind of like my ideal destination for him, but that's enough for Juan Soto. Yeah, I know. I mean, that that's kind of just what our luck is at this point. I don't want I, him in the NL East. <laughs> right. I wouldn't count out the Nationals just yet. Um, I wouldn't either. I think I, I don't think you're gonna see them. How wide would it be if the Nationals traded for Juan Soto or were just oh. able to sign him <laughs> and kept everybody that they acquired? But like I, I'm not saying it's likely. I would still take yeah. the field, but we know he likes it here. We know he has a great relationship with Mike Rizzo and David Martinez, this coaching staff. There's not too many guys left on this roster or who will even be on this roster after next year that he's familiar with. But if the Nationals prove that they are back into contention. And all they need is a superstar. And maybe they add, you know, a veteran starting pitcher for a couple of years this offseason. I, I I think Juan is a special type of superstar and that he's a little more loyal than most others. Now, he's going to want the biggest contract possible. We know that. We went through that whole, you know, pony show last year with him rejecting the contract. That's coming from Scott Boris. We know that. So he's going to want his money. If the Nationals aren't willing to pay that, then this is not a discussion. But. If they are, if they look into it, I wouldn't count on that because we know he likes it here. 
Uh, he's familiar with it. His brother is still in this farm system. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, don't count out the Nationals quite yet. I'm not saying predicting or anything, but don't count them out in the Juan Soto sweepstakes if it gets to that point. No, I, I think that's actually a great point because I don't like at this point, I think it is a long shot, but like, hey, the Nationals have made splashy moves in the past and this ownership group has done it too. Like, I think the people who say like, oh, they'll never do it again. Like, that's wrong, in my opinion. I think they will make a splash move eventually. Will it be Juan Soto? Who knows? But I also do think the Nationals will still be in the mix. And I definitely don't think there's any uh, bridges burned here from Soto and the Nationals. I I think that relationship is still pretty strong. But thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every single day. Later on, we're going to get into this starting rotation step because in my opinion, Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams, it's been a rough go of it for them this year. So we'll kind of discuss 2023 and also look ahead to what 2024 could look like for the starting rotation staff and as well as those two names mentioned. But before we get into that, let me tell you guys about our good friends over at Game Time. And guys, you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guaranteed. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. And my favorite part about Game Time is that when I'm walking up to Nationals Park last minute, I work right down the street from Nats Park. I never have tickets, but when I open up Game Time, it's just two clicks away and it is that easy my favorite part about it is that i can actually see my seat view on the app so you have any obstructed view that is why i love my friends at game time so take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time and download the game time app create an account and use code locked on mlb for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code Locked on MLB, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-M-L-B for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now we get back into it with Bobby Blanco from NassenSports.com. And Bobby, we know this. Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams, it's been a tough go for it so far for them in the rotation this year. Trevor Williams was a... was kind of the splashy free agent signing that we had from this past offseason. Patrick Corbin, well-known, World Series champion, 2019 legend, very good. But ever since then, it's it hasn't been a good go for it. But I kind of just want to get your thoughts on this. At this moment in time, like, would you bet that both of them at this moment will be in the starting rotation going forward, like in 2024? Patrick Corbin, yes. Trevor Williams, no. Um, mm-hmm. Corbin, look, we know the numbers since 2019. Mm-hmm. He actually had a better year this year than he did yes. last year. Um, over a run better in terms of ERA, more wins, um, whip improved. Um, the walk and home run numbers actually got a little bit worse, but you know, let's take what we can get from him yeah. at this point. I know that Everyone in that clubhouse, David Martinez, the coaching staff, they all appreciate Patrick Corbin takes the ball every five days. Um, there's value to that. Now, is that worth $35 million a year next year? Probably not. But I think that there is value to that. There has been a lot of veteran leadership that he has given to the young guys like Mackenzie Gore, 
Josiah Gray, Jake Irvin, Jackson, Jackson Rutledge. Um, for a guy who's going to make 31 starts a year, pitch over 175 innings, maybe 200, depending if, you know, if he can improve somehow. I just think the veteran status that he has and the price tag that he has, you know, he's going to get paid over $35 million next year, his last year of that contract that he signed. So only one more year, Patrick Corbin, but I think that all that added up together is going to put him in that rotation. Um, I don't know if that hope, I don't know if that qualifies him for the opening day start or obviously a long ways away from that, but I, I think that's enough to get him into the rotation along with Mackenzie Gore, who should come back healthy from that blister along with Josiah Gray, who had a really solid campaign finished really strongly um, on Tuesday at Camden yards. Um, and then you're going to have guys like Jake Irvin, Jackson Rutledge competing for another spot in that rotation. You know, I, might be able to throw in a Yoana Don. I, I know at times yeah. he's looked better, but those are the main guys I think you're looking at in that rotation. Cade Cavalli will be back. Um, he's not going to be fully back until the season gets underway. We're probably looking at like a May or June season debut, but he should be healthy enough to start a throwing program in spring training. So, you know, maybe Trevor Williams can sneak in there if they need a, a fifth starter, if Williams beats out a Yoana Don, a Jackson Rutledge, you know, he looked, it's only three starts. He looked okay. He looked pretty good, but it's only three starts. Can he have it over an extended period of time in the major leagues? Um, so Corbin, yes. I, I don't think, I think Williams is longed for either a trade, a DFA, or or the bullpen. Um, we'll see how the season ends Friday in Atlanta. Um, they skipped a couple of his starts. I think it's been like almost two weeks since his last start, 12 days. I think. Yeah. It's, it's been a little while. Yeah. So we'll see how season ends kind of reevaluate after that. Um, but for right now, I, I think his spot will be kind of in jeopardy because the younger guys have pitched. They, they just pitch better. And yeah. it's about those younger guys than it is him right now. And especially going into next year, like my whole thing with Trevor Williams is when we signed him, like we all knew that the plan was to have him go out there and pitch every five days. But when you look at when Trevor Williams has been best, Trevor Williams has always been a better kind of just, I'm trying to even think of like a role and I'm blanking on the name for the nationals. They had this guy, uh, Javi, uh, ah, I'm blanking on the name, whatever. Yeah. That's terrible podcasting, but <laughs> Trevor Javi Williams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trevor Williams is not a starter. Like it just, it's as simple as that for me. Like when I look back at his numbers, he hasn't really had a good season taking the ball every five days back since 2020. And even then that was a 60 game season. If you look beyond that, it hasn't been good. But last year with the New York Mets, the role that he thrived in was kind of like your, your fireman. He was coming out and he was going to take out the fire. He was going to have a few innings here and there and just kind of eat innings and in which he pitched very well in. So it's not that I don't believe in Trevor Williams. I don't believe in Trevor Williams as a starter, but I do think he has an effective role in which the nationals can kind of take advantage of. Like this is kind of something that I've always thrown out there. And with Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams, with both their struggles, Patrick Corbin, at times, he can have a few very good innings. Like, if you just look at him the first two times through the order, it's usually not as bad as the third time. Trevor Williams has those same tendencies. So, I've always kind of thought of this idea to have Patrick Corbin as your opener. Have him go two to three innings. 
Now, is that going to be a good way to use your money for both those guys who are some of your highest paid pitchers outside of Steven Strasburg? Probably not. But I also think it's effective. And especially going into 2024, if you're going to have both these guys on your staff, I think it would be a good thought to have maybe Patrick Corbin and have him go three to four innings. And then you have Trevor Williams and they're just kind of that tandem. And he comes in and throws another three innings in which maybe you find you catch lightning in a bottle there and you could actually use them down the line. Because I think that combination could actually mean something for the nationals. If you look at the Rays, they do this kind of thing all the time. And a lot of these analytical minded organizations, they use it and they use it really effectively. So what would you kind of say about that? Yeah, I like that idea. Um, I just think, I don't know if the Nationals would do it to Patrick Corbin. I think Patrick Corbin mm-hmm. would be like, no, I'm a starter. Like, I'm I'm going. Um, mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, it, that's a high price tag for an opener. I, I, I like the idea in the sense that it's a righty and a lefty. So you're making it hard for the opposing team to stack a lineup um, and then maybe force them to go to their bench sooner than they would, would rather. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just don't... I, I can see that going... Maybe like a Trevor Williams, you want a Don stack. Yeah. <laughs> More so than a Trevor Williams, Patrick Corbin stack. Like, because I, I don't know. I just don't see the Nationals doing that to Patrick Corbin. Mm-hmm. But I see what you're saying. Like, I like the idea. I like the kind of outside the box thinking, especially next year. Well, we'll see. I mean, if they're actually going to be competitive next year, they might just stick with what is working. But if, you know, next year kind of goes along the lines of this year and you're still kind of just trying to get by and you're focusing on the development, why not think a little bit outside the box when it comes to your veterans and, you know, do that kind of thing. We saw them, you know, David Martinez talked a lot about one of the things that they're going to look over this when the season ends is how the heck they got through this season with using only eight starters. They only yeah. use eight starting pitchers all year, um, including Chad cool, who they DFA'd earlier this year. So, um, that's really only seven. Actually, you really think only really only like six got them through most, most of the year. Um, when you add Jackson Rutledge and you want to down late in the season. So it's when they look at that, I think that's more important for them thinking of how they space these guys out, how they get them to, you know, their, their endings limits, their, their starts and finish the season. I know Irvin and Mackenzie Gore are finishing the season on the IL, but that kind of happened late in September. They were kind of getting close to their innings limits anyways. So yeah, I, I think like that could be a part of that sort of, sort of outside the box box thinking of how do we get these guys through the season healthy while also being effective. And if, you know, at some point you're just looking at, well, wow, Patrick Corbin is actually pretty good for two or three innings, but once he gets to the fourth, it's a disaster. You know, uh, you know, you look at uh, Trevor Williams' splits, like last year with the Mets, his ERA was almost two runs better as a reliever than it was a starter. So maybe that's something right there, like you mentioned. I, I think it's unlikely, but I like the kind of outside-the-box thinking next year, especially if they're not quite contending. And like, all right, let's just get through the season and, and see what we can kind of mix with what we have because that will be the last year of Corbin and Williams. And in an ideally situation, both of those guys pitch well enough where they become trade chips. But exactly, I, yeah, and, and that is definitely a possibility, in my opinion. They could, yeah, but uh, it, it definitely could happen. Because, like, also the thing is, like, with Patrick Corbin specifically, like, Trevor Williams has had his issues this year, but Patrick Corbin, I feel like at times, it's like, oh, like, he'll go out there and pitch six innings and only give up right. one earned run. So it's like he has those every now and then. Obviously, he's going to have to find a way to be a little more consistent next year, but he improved this year. 
I mean, yep. that that is a fact. He did improve this year and pitched his butt off a lot of times. And again, like I think a slept on thing, and you mentioned this earlier, Patrick Corbin takes the ball every five days, man. Like that is valuable in itself. I know a lot of fans may not like that, but that says something about the guy. I mean, he never blames anyone. Like you got to like the guy, you got to respect him for that aspect of it. Cause it's really easy. And you've seen it all the time with big money pitchers. They have no problem throwing the defense behind the bus. And we know the nationals defense over the last few years, they have really, really struggled, especially behind Patrick Corbin at times. Not once you've been in the clubhouse. He has never pinned it on that defense. So Patrick Corbin, He's a pro's pro, but thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every single day. Before we get into kind of talking about a little bit more of the starting rotation in 2024, let me tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. And guys, snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a 5 dollar bet that's two hundred dollars in bonus bets win or lose if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel there's no better time to get in on the action the app is so easy to use and there's a wide range of betting options including spreads player props over-unders and more so visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season FanDuel official partner of the NFL and now we get back into it with Bobby Blanco from Masson Sports. And Bobby, kind of just looking ahead here, we only got a few minutes left, but getting into the starting rotation of 2024, like you look at guys, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, those are your two top guys, in my opinion, sitting there. And then after that, Cade Cavalli will eventually join the fold. That's three. Patrick Corbin will most likely still be in that rotation as well. That's four guys. The fifth spot, though, that's where it gets a little tricky because Jackson Rutledge, was really good his last two starts after getting kind of rocked around in his debut. So he's now in the mix of this. Yoan Adone, while he's looked tough at times, he is kind of in the mix at this point, I guess you could say. But at this moment in time, who do you think kind of gets that fifth spot? Do you think it's a lock that Jackson Rutledge will be on that opening day roster? Yeah, Jackson Rutledge got knocked around both figuratively and literally. Um <laughs> In that open, in that um, you know, you know, <laughs> that first start. Uh, but you know, he ends his season on Sunday in Atlanta, the series finale. I'll be interested to see how he handles that lineup for the second time in as many starts. That's a really tough line. He did well this past weekend in and that's park. Will he be able to do it again? Um, you know, then Braves might not be playing for anything anymore, but that's still a tough lineup to face back to back starts. Um, yeah, those top two you mentioned, I think, are, are, are good. Um, you know. Honestly, maybe the camp battle that we look out for next spring training is which one of those guys will get the opening day start. Um, yeah. Talked about Patrick Corbin. He's going to be in there. And I and you mentioned last segment, like the, the, the significance, the value of him taking the ball every fifth day. What we also need to remember is that, you know, at, you know they're not serious, but Kate Cavalli, Jake, Jake Irvin, and Mackenzie Gore will be coming Jake, off of injuries yeah. to end the season. Josiah Gray just pitched the most innings he's ever pitched in a single season. You're looking for the same for Mackenzie Gore, probably Jake. Jackson Rutledge is unproven, although promising. And then, you know, with all of those kind of injuries, whatever you ha- you call it, there is a there is something to be said of Patrick Gore making 31 starts and eating up 175 innings. Um, so he'll be in there. Um, yeah, I think that fifth spot 
is going to come down. I think Jake Irvin has proven enough this year that he is going to be solidified in there. I mean, how can he not? He might be, you know, the Nats rookie of the year. Um, you know, if you're not counting Abrams as a rookie. Um, so I, I think that fifth spot is going to come down to some kind of battle of, well, K. Cavalli won't be healthy yet. So Jackson Rutledge, Yoana Don, um, and Trevor Williams in, in camp. Um, I, I'm going to wait to make a prediction before I see how those three guys finish. Those are the three starters we're going to see in Atlanta this weekend. So how they all finish against one of the toughest lamps in baseball is going to be kind of maybe a little bit telling for spring training. But um, I, I think it'd be really exciting for Jackson Rutledge to break camp in that rotation. And then when Cade Cavalli comes back, builds up, and is ready to rejoin it, then you kind of maybe, I don't know, do you go through a six-man rotation for most of the season? Then that's really happy with the way that it ended for the last two months of this year. Would you go June through the end of the season with six men? That'd be interesting to see too, but I would like to see Jackson Rutledge. I think that'd be really exciting for Nats fans if he finishes the season strong and then is in the rotation next year along with Gray, Irvin, and Gore, and then you know Patrick Corbin there too to eat up uh, starts and innings. That could be pretty exciting. Yeah, I totally glossed over the fact that Jake Irvin, like I I literally did a show on him last week. I, I'm a Jake Irvin guy. He is certainly in pen for the rotation going into mm-hmm. next year, but as Cade Cavalli comes up, like it's going to be a little interesting what they do. Like, are they going to go a six man rotation kind of stretch out their guys? Because Mackenzie Gore, he has had some injuries in the past this year. He's been healthy. He's had a couple blister issues. No big deal. Josiah gray has always been healthy, but Jake Irvin, Tommy John surgery, Cade Cavalli, Tommy John surgery. So I think a six man rotation could be in the mix a little bit earlier than what we may think. And also it's just, they want to see their guys and, if you're not going to be competing for a postseason spot, which is still up in the air, by the way, they certainly mm-hmm. could, but why not see your six guys there? Why not get a look at all your young guys and kind of get their feet wet in the major leagues and then kind of figure out that issue down the line, whether who will be that fifth starter on just kind of like a normal routine based season. But I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion as this kind of off season goes on and looking at these starting pitchers and kind of, where do the dominoes fall? Who will get that opportunity? Will it be Jackson Rutledge or whoever it may be in the back end of that rotation? But if Jackson Rutledge, as you said, if he does really well against the Braves again, then it's going to be a, a very tough case against him not getting into the starting rotation come opening day. Just just because back in 2021, you want to don't. Game 162 against the Red Sox. You know, he was, uh, he was a prospect. He was never a prize prospect, but... He had some really good numbers down in the minors. He came up to the bigs and dominated against the Boston Red Sox in that game. I think he struck out eight batters over the course of five innings in his debut, just was electric and earned himself an opening day roster spot the following year. And we all know how 2022 went. Wasn't all that great for him, but it's an interesting topic nonetheless. But Bobby, I always appreciate the time, man. You can catch out your work over at Masson sports.com bobby thanks for the time man yeah ryan great show all season long look forward to chatting in the off season definitely well we'll be talking a lot and always here on locked on nationals and of course nationals are off tonight but obviously we'll catch you on the flip side